Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You know, the boys are done, and, and this documented, but you guys should get the opportunity to see some footage of our days growing up and what we all was going through, what was surrounding us, uh, the atmosphere, uh, but more importantly, uh, the guidance that we got from Coach Wade, because um, he was dealing with a lot of egos, and for him able to manage those egos to manifest into to become one, as opposed to trying to become an individual, it, it really was special. There he is, Tyrone Muggsy Bogues, joined us on our Be More Opinionated podcast. We'll have clips from him coming up. You can hear the podcast at bmoshow.com. Let's continue the talk right now about. Dunbar, we bring in Bobby Sablehouse, who grew up in Baltimore and played quarterback at McDonough in the 1990s, now an executive film producer out in Los Angeles, joining us here on Sports with Coleman. Thanks for taking the time, Bobby. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, the entire nation will be buzzing this week when ESPN debuts the Baltimore Boys, the story of the great Dunbar teams 35 years ago that went 59-0. and And Bobby, how did this all come together? Many Baltimore folks, I'm sure, are involved behind the scenes in this project featuring the undefeated Dunbar teams of 81 to 83. And can you tell us about some of the Baltimore folks involved and where you found some of the archive video as well that will be shown on the documentary? Sure. We, uh, you know, I, I, I was, you know, going from Baltimore and, and being a huge sports fan. Uh, I knew about this story. I was familiar with it um, at a very young age. And, you know, then cut to me being a, a producer out here in Los Angeles and sitting down with a, a producing partner of mine uh, on the on the film. You know, we uh, we were talking about wanting to do a 30 for 30 and obviously easier said than done. But the first story that popped into my head, which I felt was obviously a Baltimore treasure, uh, but the rest of the nation probably didn't know its origins, was the Dunbar basketball story. And so from that point, I, I knew that I had to get uh, Coach Wade on board. I knew I had to get Muggsy on board to get this thing going and package it and take it to ESPN. So had a conversation with Muggsy, had a conversation with Coach Wade, told them I thought this was a story that had to be told uh, on a national level. Uh, I, I think it was one of those great kept, great kept secrets. Uh, I don't think it was a secret that those guys went on to play in the NBA, but I think to the nation it was a secret of uh, their origin story. And I thought it was fascinating um, and interesting. And so, yeah, from that point on, we went over to ESPN. And, and this has never happened to me in a pitch, but we pitched ESPN. And halfway through the pitch, uh, they, 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 bought the, uh, they bought the show. Um, and from that point on, we just started putting the pieces together. And, and you brought up uh, one of the challenges, which was finding archival footage um, from back in the early 80s uh, in high school. And that was difficult. But you know, we were able to find a lot of footage over at the University of Baltimore where a lot of, uh, a couple of the local stations um, keep their archives uh, pre-1986. So we found some real gems, but um, it, was certainly, uh, it was certainly a challenge uh, in the beginning 
Um, but we uncovered, uh, with some help, we uncovered some some real gems. Jerry Coleman joined by Bobby Sablehouse, who is the executive producer of the Boys of Baltimore, which will debut on ESPN tomorrow night. Now, back in the fall of 2016, Alejandro Dunois wrote his book, The Boys of Dunbar. How did that end up becoming a documentary, Bobby? Not to be confused with the 30 for 30 series, which, I don't know, is a 30 for 30 gone away? Is this different than a 30 for 30 no, this is this this is a this is a thirty for thirty. Um, what the interesting thing is, uh, Ali. We were introduced to Ali by Coach Wade. Uh, Coach Wade said, "Listen, I'd love to be involved in this project, but we have a a guy who's writing the book on our 1981-82 season." And right when he said that, I was uh, I was so excited because I I thought here's a guy that's been involved in this story for years. He's going to be an encyclopedia of knowledge uh, about this story. He actually came on and became a producer of the documentary um and ali was uh was uh, a real asset and has become a, a close friend uh but having him to be able to pick up the phone and say ali what happened at this game or ali what happened you know uh with this player uh he really he knew the story more intimately well than anybody that i've ever met so he was a real asset now one thing that you don't do and you've received a claim for it is not sugarcoating how rough life was and really still is in the neighborhood where the Dunbar players grew up. I mean, you know, as a kid you're growing up in the in the city and you know, what you were faced with, uh, you were just basically trying to make it out. Um, you know, as a kid, having goals and having dreams, you know, playing a hobby that you that you had a passion for, uh, and being the size that I was, you know, wasn't really given you know, much chance. A lot of people was criticizing me, but, you know, I stayed humble. I stayed hungry. How life in urban Baltimore hasn't dramatically changed from the 68 riots to even up until the 2015 death of Freddie Gray. Although many may ask, what does that have to do with the dynasty basketball program, Bobby? Well, I mean, what I would say is it's, you know, it's an authentic look at the city. Um, back, you know, in the early 80s. Um, and it's it's an honest look at the city and what the city was going through. Um, crime, drugs, you know, the the um, closing of, of, of the Bethlehem Sparrows Point plant and what that did to the city. So I think, you know, I think it makes it that much more remarkable for these young men who played on this Dunbar basketball team that kind of defied the odds in so many different ways uh, and were able to, you know, obviously – be very successful in high school, and then and Coach Wade really being, in my opinion, the unsung hero of this of this story. For Coach Wade, you know, this is an honor to him in terms of what he was able to do for us, uh, keep those kids focused and on the path of wanting to have something better in life. The guy who was able to groom not only those four players, you know, Wingate, Reggie Williams, Reggie Lewis, and Muggsy to go on and and play in college and play in the pros, but. He had 11 guys on his on his on his team during those years that went and played Division One basketball, which to me is unprecedented. So amazing! You know, I think he, yeah, it's amazing. I think so. I think he's the big unsung hero of the story. And but anyway, you know, listen, we just wanted to be authentic. We wanted to be honest. Uh, and you know, it is it is it is a little bit of a social commentary um, about what's going on in, in Baltimore, you know, then and today. Well, if there's one player you really focus on, it's the guy we had on our podcast this morning at bmoshow.com, the 5'3 incredible point guard, Muggsy Bogues, 14-year NBA vet, grew up in the Lafayette Courts housing project on Baltimore's east side, once inadvertently shot. What made him so fascinating? Well, I think, 
you know, somebody had said this, I think it was at the sun. Uh, there was a quote, um, that said, uh, that he was the, or maybe it was Ali. I'm, I'm sorry if, if I'm forgetting, but said that he was the best player on the court and he didn't have to take a shot, you know? So it was one of those situations where yes, he was, you know, re- remarkable being five foot three and, you know, having this, uh, you know, having this drive and talent and tenacity. And I wanted to prove, you know, a lot of people wrong that a kid my size is capable of playing a game just like anyone else. So, um, that was a challenge that I had to deal with. And for a guy my size trying to pursue that dream, you know, was, you know, it got a lot of chuckles, a lot of, you know, a lot of criticism. But, you know, for me, you know, I just believed in myself and I wanted to prove that right wrong. Um, but Muggsy, yeah, Muggsy is, is an anomaly. I think, uh, I, in my opinion, I, I think that, you know, having another Muggsy Bugs come around is, is uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a while. You know, I, I think, I think we'll probably see another LeBron James before we see another Muggsy Bugs. And, you know, his story is just, it's phenomenal. What people don't know is that, you know, Reggie Williams obviously was a star on that, on that Dunbar team. And they lived, they were close friends, best friends. And they lived like, you know, three or four floors down from each other in, in, uh, in East Baltimore in the, in the housing project. So, but yeah, but Muggsy is a, is a special, you know, he's almost, he's almost like a superhero, you know, uh, he's a special player, a special person. And, uh, and we were, we were just happy to be able to, to tell his story along with the other with the other guys but he certainly um is unique uh, has a unique story and, and i hope we did it justice well you certainly have i still got a lot to get to as we talk with bobby sablehouse who is the executive producer one of them for the baltimore boys which is going to premiere tomorrow tuesday night on espn at eight o'clock and then august the 13th on abc all this talk about dunbar and rightfully so bobby but in 1982, the number two high school team in the country was also here in Baltimore, Calvert Hall, led by head coach Mark Amatucci and point guard 5'8", James Pop Tubman, who did grow up in the same neighborhood as Muggsy Bogues. They uh, didn't play a lot against each other at the high school level, but knew about each other. Any mention of Calvert Hall during this documentary? You know, yes. Um, You know, Calvert Hall, there was, there's, it's always a journey and an exploration when you're making these documentaries. And there was a, there was an iteration of this documentary very early on that really spent a lot of time uh, on the Calvert Hall uh, Dunbar rivalry. Uh, and, you know, we went and interviewed uh, coach Amatucci, who was very generous with his time and, and, and terrific. Uh, yes. I mean, you know, there was this triple overtime game that people in Baltimore uh, who know consider it one of the great, high school basketball games in, in Baltimore history uh, that Calvert Hall beat uh, Dunbar in triple overtime at, 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 at Towson. And you know, that was a phenomenal game. But what, what people don't recognize is that was also a, a Dunbar team without Muggsy. And so the next year was, it was a year where, you know, Dunbar had Muggsy, Dunbar was undefeated. So was Calvert Hall. Um, and unfortunately it was the greatest game never played. They just, they couldn't put the game on the schedule. And, you know, Calvert Hall will say that, you know, Dunbar was ducking Calvert Hall and Calvert Hall or and Dunbar will say that Calvert Hall was ducking Dunbar. And, and I think, you know, that was, uh, that was a game that I think should have been played, but obviously for, for reasons outside of, uh, you know, of, of, of some people's control, it, it never, it never got done. Um, so yeah, Calvert Hall was a part of this documentary at, at one point, but I think you really have to, uh, we really wanted to focus on Dunbar um, and the Dunbar in those, those 81, 80, 83 years. And, 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 and post-Dunbar years, so college and, and in the professional leagues, and we just didn't have the time. So it's, it's, it's something that I wish we could have explored. Believe me, I wish we could have explored more because I, I think there's some real 
there was some real good storytelling in there, but we just didn't have the opportunity. All right, Bob Wade, of course, the father figure to all these kids, a legendary coach, and he had something he called ghetto dumbbells. How were they utilized, <laughs> even for punishment? They were looking like bricks, but he had other usage for them, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, what Co- you know, what Coach said was, uh, you know, he used these bricks. So, you know, in the fourth quarter, you know, these guys were just going to be better conditioned than uh, than the opposing team. And so he used them. Yeah, he used them for punishment, but he, you know, he used them for conditioning. But I think the really unique story um, that that we actually didn't get to we didn't get to explore in the documentary uh, is the backstory with these bricks. Is that Coach uh, would take a team manager. Coach Wade would take a team manager out to um, some of the abandoned row houses in Baltimore, and he would actually collect these bricks. So, I mean, these truly were, you know, with, with a school that didn't have a lot of money for the athletic program, you know, Coach just, he took the resources that were that were available to him, and, and those are the bricks. So it was interesting. We, uh, we took a brick and we slid it over to uh, David Wingate during one of the interviews, and uh, I think he, he almost had an anxiety attack because, you know, it brought back memories of him having to hold those <laughs> things and run with them on the court. Does the film get into the connection between Dunbar and Georgetown? Of course, Reggie Williams and Wingate both played a part in national titles there, and Muggsy told us. For the Georgetown situation, you know, Coach Tom has always said that the saddest thing that he that happened, that he didn't uh, recruit me heavy because he felt like he would have had another one of his championships um, under his belt. Yeah, we heard we heard the same thing. We heard that Coach Wade had been to an event down in in, uh, in D.C. for uh, for Coach Thompson, and Coach Thompson went over to him and 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 mentioned that same thing. He's like, I, I should have I should have signed Muggsy Bogues, and I would have won another national championship. So that's uh, that's been confirmed on Coach on Coach Wade's end, and we do we do explore it a lot. We we you know we obviously David Wingate graduated a year early than than Muggsy uh, and, and Williams and Lewis. And so he went on and, and paved the way at Georgetown. And then obviously Williams went there, won a national championship. And he was, he was the MVP of the, of the national championship yep. against, um, uh, against fly Sam, fly Sam Jamma. Houston. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we do, we do, we do explore it um, uh, pretty, pretty specifically. Bobby, what about the lack of a relationship Dunbar had with the university of Maryland in light of some bad situations, namely Ernie Graham, yeah, it was a fall now. Uh, coach, I uh, just felt like, you know, one of our players that was there, Ernest Grant, that wasn't treated the way he should have, and uh, he kind of stared us away from running a little bit. The irony is Bob Wade went on to coach there temporarily and was unceremoniously dumped, and to me, unfairly. I'm sure that was explored at some level, but Muggsy told us Maryland wasn't even on his radar back then. Yeah, we. I mean, we don't really, we don't really explore – um, why the players uh, didn't go there, um, but we what we do explore is, is absolutely Coach Wade. Uh, you know, after Lem Bias's death uh, and Lefty Giselle's departure, we absolutely explore Coach Wade's tenure. Um, you know, although short, we we do we do explore his tenure at University of Maryland. Um, you know, pretty closely. So. Uh, you know, I think some people that don't know that story well will we'll definitely get a, a little insight into uh, into you know how things uh, transpired at Maryland. And last but not least, here Reggie Lewis, who was known as a sixth man for Dunbar, overcame the streets, was in the middle of an outstanding NBA career in Boston, and then his heart failed on him, and he passed away. Does his untimely death at the age of 27? That's the sad part, right there. You know, it just don't feel right with him not being right beside us. 
Coach Reg was such a big part of us. Um, you know, even though he was the sixth man, but uh, he was just like a starter because he came in and saved so many games and uh, just brings so many memories back. Uh, but we're just so thankful and grateful that, you know, he's still part of us. You know, the spirit always continues to live on. And uh, he's looking down among us and he's smiling that this debut is about to take place because that's where it all started. You know, back in the Baltimore, growing up in that inner city, you know, having those type of dreams floating around our heads as kids and trying to manifest it to become something positive in our lives. How does that get addressed during the documentary? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty major part of the documentary. Uh, I mean, Reggie Lewis is uh, just one of those terrific stories. Um, if people don't know, you know, he was the sixth man off the bench at Dunbar. He never started a, a game. I mean, that's how deep they were. You know, it was really not a heralded recruit. Didn't get uh, didn't get many scholarship offers. Jim Calhoun saw him play uh, once and saw something special in in Reggie and signed him. Uh, to to Northeastern, and so we do. We explore his his uh, his time in Northeastern. We we explore his you know obviously him getting drafted by the Celtics, him being the captain of the Celtics after Larry Bird, and then you know his collapse on the court uh, during a during a during a playoff game against the Charlotte Hornets that actually had Muggsy Bogues and David Wingate on the team, wow. um, and we, we we explore that. But we do we explore his death. We explore. Uh, you know, the doctor, uh, this Dr. Mudge who misdiagnosed him. Uh, we explore, um, you know, the, uh, the, the heart, uh, you know, issues that he had that were genetic. Um, we also explore, you know, the, the drug use, um, alleged drug use. So we, we, go, we go really deep into the Reggie Lewis story, probably more than, than any other player. We, we really explore his post uh his post-playing, his post-Dunbar days more than more than anybody. Yeah, one other thing in closing I wanted to mention about Dunbar. I talked about how they might have played Calvert Hall. At times they didn't want to play him, but they would virtually travel anywhere to play any team, whether it be in Camden, New, New Jersey. Number one game that really stands out was the Camden game. Uh, and they were considered the number one team in the country. Uh, they had the number one player in the country in Billy Thompson. And uh, Coach Wade was just talking so positively about this team and it was all this and all that and once I walked into the gym um, which they never hadn't been beaten before uh, you had the whole stand just laughing at this little kid walking in the gym why did they bring this little kid along and you know of course that the, the ball went up in the air I had the last laugh and you know, we went out there and destroyed the team and uh, we, then we wind up getting a standing ovation from that crowd. DeMatha down the road in uh, near D.C. This was uh, really one of the first high school traveling squads, if you will, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, they went – I mean, listen, you know, Coach Wade knew he had something special and knew if, if, if you know, if Dunbar and Baltimore were going to get the respect, they were going to have to go on the road and they were going to have to beat the best. And they did. Um, like you mentioned, they beat, they beat Camden, DeMatha. Uh, they went up to New York um, and beat the best teams in New York. Uh, I think one of the challenges for us was finding adversity on the court. Because uh, they didn't have much, uh, they they beat they beat most of the teams that they played uh, very handedly. So one of the I think also another one of the one of the big challenges with the film is is uh, I mean they you know they went on and beat teams by 20 30 points that were nationally ranked. So uh, it was it was truly a remarkable uh, remarkable team and and um, you know and, and proud to be able to tell the story.
Hey, Bobby, appreciate you taking the time. I had a lot of questions to get to. You answered them all. Now all that's left is to watch the documentary, The Baltimore Boys, about an hour and a half, premiering at 8 p.m. Tuesday on ESPN, August the 13th on ABC, and if not, DVR it. Bobby, thanks for taking the time. Tremendous job. Thanks for having me on. I really look forward to hearing people's thoughts, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll follow up and, and do another conversation soon. I would like to do that once I view the documentary indeed. Thank you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.